Seeing his relatives crying, he dies most pathetically in great pain and without consciousness. Do you want to do a repeat? Yes. Okay. Thus the man, who engaged with uncontrolled senses, in maintaining a family, dies in great grief. Seeing his relatives crying, he dies most, most pathetically, in great pain and without consciousness. In Bhagavad Gita, it is said that at the time of death, one will be absorbed in the thoughts which he cultivated during his lifetime. A person who had no other idea than to properly maintain his family members must have family affairs in his last thoughts. That is the natural sequence for a common man. The common man does not know the destiny of his life. He is simply busy in his flash of life, maintaining his family. At the last stage, no one is satisfied with how he has improved the family economic condition. Everyone thinks that he could not provide sufficiently. Because of his deep family affection, he forgets his main duty of controlling the senses and improving his spiritual consciousness. Sometimes a dying man entrusts the family affairs to either his son or some relative saying, I am going, please look after the family. He does not know where he is going, but even at the time of death, he is anxious about how his family will be maintained. Sometimes it is seen that a dying man requests the physician to increase his life at least for a few years so that the family maintenance plan which he has begun can be completed. These are the material diseases of the conditioned soul. He completely forgets his real engagement to become Krishna conscious and is always serious about planning to maintain his family although he changes families one after another. Okay, so we'll go over the translation one more time, and then we'll go into the purport. So I'll read it one more time, and then see what reflections we have just off the bat from the translation. Thus the man who engaged with uncontrolled senses in maintaining a family dies in great grief, seeing his relatives crying. He dies most pathetically in great pain and without consciousness. So reflections on, do you think this is true and have you seen it and what's your experience? If you have, if anyone has any experience. What stands out to me is uncontrolled senses. Mm -hmm. And, and um, just sounds like when there's uncontrolled senses, there's disaster. And, and it's pathetic. Uncontrolled senses and them being seen as I was also thinking of uncontrolled senses and how it um, steals away when it's saying ashtadhi and we're out without consciousness. So it, it um, I was thinking of that verse um, or that song by Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Shaira uh, Vijayal, that these senses uh, beginning with the tongue are, are pathways leading to death. So the ways in which that by this person, unenga you know, engaging with family relationships without controlled senses, it actually led him to this place of no consciousness. I was, uh, I was just contrasting right now the image 
you know, somebody, there's a picture in Bhagavad Gita too, there's, there's a self-realized soul seeing somebody leaving their body, and he sees the soul in everybody's body. Someone is leaving, someone is coming, you know, someone's born, these things are happening. But, so when someone is, when persons are absorbed in the bodily concept of life, then this whole scene is playing out. It's super intense, it's really painful. Mm-hmm. And you can contrast that with like when Vaishnavas are surrounded by other Vaishnavas, maybe they're in the Dom. I mean, wherever Vaishnavas are is a Dom. There is a holy name for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like Gundrai Maharaj, we had such an amazing experience witnessing Gundrai Maharaj with his body. It was just raging kirtan for days. I mean, practically the, the planet felt purified just because of the yagi that was going on. I was thinking, like, okay, so his senses are uncontrolled, but he's also done nothing to help his family control their senses. So when he dies, they have to go through hell, thinking that, oh, this person is gone forever. The, the whole thing, the whole experience, he never saved them from that. He never liberated them from that. He never gave them a higher concept. So now he's got to deal with that, and he's got to deal with the fact that he's surrounded by persons who are pouring all this material energy in his direction when he's about to leave his body at the most critical time. Mm-hmm. So everybody involved is completely uncontrolled. And on the other hand, Vaishnavas, they have like, it's, it's practically a celebration. I mean, of course, there's so much pain that if someone is leaving, they're so dear, we're not going to see them around, but it's this is completely different. So just that, that contrast is very striking. Mm. I was listening to Radhanath Maharaj and Katamrita mm-hmm. yesterday, and he was saying how when uh, Bhakti Tirtha Swami left his body, they promised each other that, uh, he said it was the most amazing experience because he thought that he was only going to last like two or three days more, but he ended up lasting like six months, a week, a few. And um, they promised each other whenever they were together that they would only talk about things that would bring him closer to Krishna so that he would remember Krishna when he died. So like he went through, he um, was really conscious in only talking about Krishna with his best friend for six months. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a practice before dying. Um, I think that raises my face in the time. Yeah, I was just thinking about this whole section. Uh, the language seems very harsh, but actually it's just a, more or less it's kind of a neutral description that this is just what happens if you do this. And uh, even that word pathetic, I was just remembering that, you know, in, in India, there's a different, I think also probably in England, that's where most of their English comes from. There's a different uh, connotation of that word, pathetic. Here in America, it's a very con- almost condescending, demeaning kind of word. That's pathetic. But in uh, in England, I think, and definitely in India, it's not seen like that. It's just like that's pathetic, you know. Like it, it it's it's a pitiable condition, basically. That's what pathetic means. And I, I I'm I'm you know, deducing them. that's perhaps what Prabhupada meant in this particular condition, not in the sense of, not in the sense of demeaning or condemning necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the position that's being described is automatically condemned and demeaned or, or you know degraded. It doesn't require any um, doesn't require any embellishments in order to further make the point. In of itself, the point is automatically made that this is that this is a this is a uh, deplorable route to take, and it only leads to extreme suffering and misery for yourself and for everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you the, okay. tell you the, Greek, the Greek root of it. It's probably in the dictionary too, right? Pathos yeah. means suffering. That which evokes pity or sympathetic sadness. Also, I, I like this one, and I feel like this is what Nagar Prabhu was saying. It's affecting and moving the emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I'm, you know, by hearing this, it's like it moves the living entity's emotions to be like, man, I don't want to be in such a pathetic situation. and less control over it. And even when we're younger, we have a lot of zeal. And-
we try to control everything is when we lose that energy and we also lose the art just being able to control your body and starts to do things that you don't want it to do that it's I guess when I feel more pathetic I'm, I'm seeing it like it's embarrassing and kind of humiliating internally of not being able to really um, to have control over those things yeah I feel that it's being um, not having control of our like bodily functions anymore when we get older and so pathetic in a way of like it's it's not not ideal or not fun. Hopeless. Hopeless, thank you. I'm like, what's more? Um well Harley raised his hand and then I'm just raising her hand. I also looked up this word pathetic. It says arousing pity, especially through vulnerability or sadness. And I thought the word vulnerability is interesting because the, the soul is a very distressing condition and they're dying of grief. It's full of grief because the soul is ultimately vulnerable to the most material nature and they're vulnerable to wherever they're gonna go. They're helpless, essentially, because, because they didn't pursue a path of self-realization. Thus, they're completely vulnerable to any situation or karma. Yeah. Forces them to go. It's great. We got pathetic, vulnerable. What was the third one? Helpless. Yeah, that word popped out to me in the first part too. Uh, made me think that uh, there are uh, better ways to die. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, maybe people don't really think about it, but. Um, there are, you know, glorious ways, you know, rather than pathetic. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, like the example of Gunga. Okay, so I wanted to see, does anyone know when Prabhupada says in the Prabhupada and Prabhupada, it is said that at the time of death, one will be absorbed in the thoughts which he cultivated during his lifetime, which verse in Gita that is? Perhaps it's yum yum bapi smalam bhavam, chachyante kalevam, tam tam vaitikanteya, sadata bhava bhavitaham. Whatever state of being one remembers at the time of death, death that, that, that state he will attain without fail, it doesn't necessarily say that what you're saying, but almost. Similar, that's the one I put down too. Yeah, similar. Um, would someone be able to look that up and read the purport? And then we're going to come to an overall... Which person? 8-6. Just the purport? The process of changing one's nature at the critical moment of death is here explained. A person who at the end of his life quits his body thinking of Krishna attains the transcendental nature of the Supreme Lord. But it is not true that a person who thinks of something other than Krishna attains the same transcendental state. This is the point we should note very carefully. How can one die in the proper state of mind? Maharaj Bharata, although a great personality, thought of a deer at the end of his life, and so, in his next life, he was transferred into the body of a deer. Although as a, as a deer, he remembered his past activities, he had to accept that animal body. Of course, one's thoughts during the course of one's life accumulate and influence one's thoughts at the moment of death, so this life creates one's next life. If in one's present life one lives at the mode of goodness and always thinks of Krishna, it is possible for one to remember Krishna at the end of one's life. That will help one be transferred to the transcendental nature of Krishna. If one is transcendentally absorbed in Krishna consciousness, then his next body will be transcendental, spiritual, but not material, not material. Therefore, the chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, is the best process for successfully changing one's state of being at the end of one's life. Great, okay. 
So a couple of things that I picked up from Bhagavatam and Gita um, were a lot about um, Bhagavatam being absorbed in the thoughts which he cultivated during his lifetime. Um, talking about he forgets his main duty of controlling the senses and improving his spiritual consis consciousness. These are the material diseases of the conditioned soul. He completely forgets his real engagement. So a lot of our, a lot of sentences I picked up on is like our consciousness at the time of death, as well as in the Gita's purport, how can one die in the proper state of mind? One's thoughts during the course of one's life accumulate to influence one's thoughts at the moment of death. So this life creates one's next life. If in one's present life one lives in the mode of goodness and always thinks of Krishna, it is possible for one to remember Krishna at the end of one's life. So the big theme that I was taking away from Bhagavatam and Gita, which it, it actually states in the Gita verses, how can one die in the proper state of mind? And I was just reflecting on the fact of being 27 and being in the mood of, you know, I'm not gonna die tomorrow, at least I don't think, I don't think about it all the time. Um, but Prabhupada is, and, and Gita Krishna is also saying, we have to start now. Like, it's at every moment. Whatever our consciousness is, it adds up. We have habits. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking, okay, if this is pertaining to my life right now, then how do I start now and be in the consciousness that I could die at any second? And um, what are some things that I need to come to realization and figure out? Some things that I'm working on. So I wanted to go into uh, a journal exercise. So that's going to be our, our main point, and then we can have some reflections. And then if there's anything else from the other parts of the verse that you're thinking, oh, I really want to bring this up as well, that's open as well. So we'll do the journal exercise first. And I have paper and pens, or if you want to do it in your head, that's totally cool too. So, um, my Gurudev Mahamabhu wrote this book called Living the Wisdom of Bhakti, and a lot of the chapters at the end have exercises for how to go deeper. And specifically in this chapter, it's called Maya is Going to Test You. So, a main point is what you focus on is more important than where you are at. And a lot of the chapter is talking about our consciousness and our habits. The point is that devotees who really want to be Krishna conscious can tolerate the obstacles and anarchists in their lives, not given to them, and thus remain enthusiastically, enthusiastically determined in their service. Now I'll just read this last little paragraph. So Srila Prabhupada also taught that we can act in a Krishna conscious way despite our heart's contrary desires. Maya tells us the exact opposite. She wants us to believe that we have to give in to our conditioning, that we are so fallen that even Krishna can't help us overcome our strong conditioning. I suggest that we look at steadiness, enthusiasm, and determination to be Krishna conscious as an indication of a pure desire to be Krishna conscious. We might have to carry many anartas throughout our life, but if we want to be Krishna conscious more than anything else, these anartas cannot and will not deter us. Let our difficult challenges just make us more determined to be Krishna conscious. So I'm just thinking of this person at the time of death and just to the fact that we've, we're all in this room, um, I feel like pretty much in, is, is a good bonus for not having that description that, that Bhagavatam has of what our death will look like if we maintain in bhakti and association and have friends and have that um, party that um, Guni Graha Maharaj had or many other devotees had. 
so the exercise for, for what we're going to do is make a list of some of the things that are detrimental to your spiritual life that you nevertheless give into. Because death might be when we're 70, 80, 90, and a lot of us are um, under 40, under 30. And so for me, I was thinking, okay, so I have to figure out what these anartas are and, and look at them so that I don't become that man or woman in the bed that's dying with no one around or dying com completely forgetting the points of life. So how does that sound? Yeah? Okay, so the prompt is make a list, so two or three, make a list of some of the things that are detrimental to your spiritual life that you nevertheless give into. So we'll take five minutes. of some of the things that are detrimental to your spiritual life that you nevertheless give into. Okay, so if you're on one or two or three, I'm going to ask you to look at one of them. And ask yourself, why do you do this? So just pick one of them and kind of think, why, why do I do this? And then think, what is giving into these things costing me? materially and spiritually. And then what are the beliefs behind giving in? What are the beliefs? Oh, what is giving into these things costing you materially and spiritually? What's it costing you? And then what are our beliefs behind what we're doing? Because we're doing them for a reason. So what would one have to believe in to do these things? This thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Now why do you do it? What's it costing you? And what do you believe? What would you have to believe in to not give in? 
So whatever thing that you nevertheless give into, what would you need to believe to not give in? And then if you find that there isn't an answer to the last one as to what you need to believe in to not give in, um, you can ask yourself if you um, find that your desire to be Krishna conscious is not strong enough to enable you to not give in, then what could you do to make your spiritual desires stronger? So if I don't, if I don't have a desire strong enough to not give in, then what could I do to make my spiritual desires stronger than that thing that I give in to? Oh, the last one? Uh, the, what would you have to believe in to not give in? Oh, the one I just said. Um, so if, if you can't figure out for that one what you need to believe to not give in, then think about um, what could you do to make your spiritual desires stronger, make the spiritual desires stronger than what the item is that you're giving into that's costing you materially and spiritually. So I can give my example and then I figured if anyone wants to share their realization as well and any reflections. Okay. So for example, my example would be um, what do I nevertheless give into? So if I haven't read yet and it's getting late at night and I become really tired, I give into myself being tired and that I just want to go to bed and that I want to go to sleep so I can get up in the morning early and if I take the time to read, then I might not get up as early. So. That was my, why do you do so? Kind of, I play into, um, well, I want to go to bed. I'm tired. And what's it costing me materially and spiritually? Materially? I mean, in a, in a sense of, well, usually reading is like Krishna conscious knowledge, but in a sense of materially, if I'm reading and it's costing me, like I really love to learn. So knowledge and learning. And spiritually, um, I know that if I don't read a certain amount each day, or if my reading becomes slack for a couple days, like the bank account becomes empty, and I can actually uh, do not chant as attentively, and I can feel myself kind of like floating away from my spiritual life. So what would I have to believe in to do these things? Uh, believing, remembering and believing that, like truly believing that reading is something that's fundamental for every day for me. What would you have to believe in to not give in? That reading is more important at sleep at that point in time. And that um, 15, 20 minutes even, just to like even get in a little bit of reading is not going to hurt my sleep in the big picture. So does anyone have any that they want to share? Something that they continuously give into? Yeah. Okay, I put Prajalpa means unnecessary talking, mundane topics. I said, why do I give into it? Because it's an easy source of pleasure. It's enjoyable and it's easy. And then what is the negative effect materially, spiritually? Well, it's a waste of time. So I can't really accomplish whatever I want to achieve materially because I'm wasting my time. And secondly, it's degrading because uh, the vibration which is being produced is, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just degrading. I mean, I don't know how much
much explanation that, that needs, I we understand. And um, then the belief that I have that enables me to continue in this habit is that the gain is more than the apparently insignificant cost. I'd, I'd say that I think that's a universal principle for me whenever I do something that's not uh, to my best interest, that there's, this, there's some idea I have that, well, sure, the, it's, not, it's, it's, it's minor pleasure, but also the cost is minor. In fact, the cost is a lot less minor than the, the gain is. They're both minor, but even less minor, even more minor is the loss. Because it's, you know, it's just a few seconds or a few minutes or you know, a couple hours or whatever. <laughs> you know, there's so many hours in the day, what's the big deal? So in the moment. And then, in order to reverse this, I would have to believe that the cost is higher than the gain. I'd have to somehow be convinced that, you know, that uh, the, the value of the, the extreme detriment of, of losing time and degrading your consciousness, even a particle, is, is very uh, detrimental. So I would have to somehow be convinced of that. And I think if I was convinced of that, then it would be quite easy to avoid any uh, unhelpful activities. So currently, you're convinced that you have unlimited time before death? If I'd say unlimited, I would say that I just, that there's plenty. There's plenty. Plenty, plenty of time. You know, it's kind of like, there's, there's almost more than I, than I need necessarily. To, to, you know, it's like that. there's plenty of time to get done what I need to get done, so I can also have a little extra time so I can do other stuff that I don't really need to do, just because I feel like it, at a whim. So that's also, that's the, that's the conception there. I'm just uh, reflecting in a way that I am the complete opposite as to, I put myself in anxiety that I don't have enough time. So I run around like thinking, this has to get done and this has to get done, and then at the end of the day I'm like, were you even present today? Were you actually like grounded and like realizing everything that you did today. But yeah, that too is like the, the relaxed side, really like relaxed about life in a way of let, letting sometimes slip by with Prajapa. I was just thinking from what you were just saying, like the miss, uh, misinterpretation of time. Mm. Kind of like misinterpreting like what the amount of time that we have actually is and like how we should actually use our time. Mine's very similar. Um, it's wasting time on uh, social media or YouTube. Or, or huh? You put YouTube also? Yeah, it's just some, you know, some form of time wasting uh, regarding technology. And I feel like the purpose of it is it's it's simple pleasure. It's like it's like tantalizing, you know, like you watch like something interesting, like learning about negative harmony and music theory or something or like whatever. Or uh, or it's like this idea to relax or just like space out, kinda of like turn off the brain. Huh? Veg a little bit, which is ironic because actually it's more agitating to the brain to like look at a screen. So there's not actually relaxation that's going on. It's actually like getting you sympathetic. Anyway, it's like getting you active. Um, and the cost is that time that I could be spending doing more creative, uh, more like productive, bringing value into my life and the lives of others by like writing or reading um, or doing better and more sadhana. Um, I'm wasting it. Just you know, an hour here, an hour there of like things that don't actually benefit me. Um, some of the beliefs that I'm having, along with the cost is less than the gain, um, or however you worded it. But then uh, I also believe that I'm already, you know, a great devotee because I don't have to worry about like, being absorbed in this moment. That's like this false ego thing that's going on. Um, that I'll have time to get really absorbed later on in my life. That I don't have to get super absorbed right now. I don't have to be focused because I can do that later when I, you know, kind of get over all these things. Um, and that half a tent of sadhana is okay. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the beliefs, if I'm being 
to flip that, I would have to really uh, become aware of my uh, conditioned nature and understand that uh, not that that really time isn't uh, guaranteed for me. That I'm uh, I'm quite on the edge of death at every moment because I have no idea. So. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like meditating on this man that's dying and um, the part that you said I, I think that I'm already like a pretty good pretty good devotee um, I'm just thinking of the question like am I ready to die tomorrow like I think I'm a pretty good devotee am I, am I ready uh, just putting the question out there, not that we need to answer. Um, yeah, and I and reading even um, I was thinking like a good practice could be reading this chapter. Like if if Vaishnava uh, saying like read a chapter of Bhagavatam each day. If I read the thirtieth chapter of the third canto for a month, like how I'd feel because it's a uh, <laughs> pretty intense. Like. Even after he dies, <laughs> like the verses we're gonna go through, um, and then this tomorrow, and just yeah, that process of dying unconsciously, and then what happens? It's pretty intense. Yeah. I actually was meditating like inadvertently yesterday because I had a meeting with architects and contractor and something happened when the subcontractors backed out, which is kind of a big deal. And one of the architects, he's old, he's you know, like mid-68, he, he, he was really upset. And, and the young ones were kind of like, you know, it's fine, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I, I just, was seeking you know, Prabhupada saying, we read the introduction of Bhagavad Gita, and he's saying that the jivas are like mini Ishvaras. Because we're part and parcel of Krishna, we have a tendency to want to control. But I could see that it was like, just trying to like control everything to make them turn out the way exactly that we want to, so to have a specific outcome. And when our, when our control plans are foiled, then we get so frustrated. And, and to how to cultivate detachment is so essential, but it doesn't, tr doesn't happen overnight necessarily, but it happens in little things that we do every day. And I was appreciating that, like this, this man, he said, he said like, you, you know, he said in the contract, you're giving me gray hairs, and I was like, you already have white hair. And, and like, and, then, and later he was like, I hope I don't have a heart attack. And I was like, can you just wait till after the project's done to have a heart attack? And, and like, and on the way home, I was driving, and I was thinking, I'm so glad that I'm practicing, I'm practicing devotional service a little bit every day. So that when it comes to that time, it's not like, because really we're, we're grasping things and they're just, they're just crumbling out of our grasp. And, 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 and what to speak of old age, like I've been hearing from different people, old age is like, you're, you're like, your grip is just like, everything's just falling apart. So and how important it is to practice social service a little bit every day. And when, we, when it is time to just let go, because we're gonna have to be sur surrender at some point, to let go and we're, we're basically we're just falling in, into Krishna's, we're falling into Krishna's cushion instead of like his, and we're falling onto that relationship like a cushion mm. and instead of like just free falling into dark matter, black state, you know, who knows what, fear. Yeah, yeah it's the, that practice every single day that we do that when the time comes we can be in our practice and even if we fall back on it a bit because at the end of life it's going to be just the um, translation of being unconscious like how are we going to control our consciousness if if 
we become unconscious or something like that. Yeah, really grateful for like having our parampara where we take vows to chant every day 16 rounds um, and some other things that some gurus have their disciples do to practice every day. Does anyone else have one other one that they want to share? Reflecting on this um, got me thinking about how it's important to remember Krishna at all times, in all circumstances. Um, you know, to strive for unmotivated, uninterrupted service. And in that way, if one is, or you know, in that position, if one is in that position, then they're in a perfectly safe situation, spiritually speaking, in terms of transmigration. You know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna run into a hellish form of life in their next life. And if one's striving for that position, that's also a very safe situation. And so that got me thinking about Srila Prabhupada's instruction to Vishnu John Swami, which is, he said, well, you know, what's important for you is a no gap philosophy. You know, and then so he gave a short little practical demonstration where he sat down and was reading Bhagavatam, and then he went over to the harmonium and chanted the bhajan and then he went to his japa mala and chanted some japa like this and then you know did some writing or something like this no gap philosophy it's possible to organize our lives in such a way that even our work you know is done in a uh, krishna conscious manner to whatever degree um, but what, whatever control we do have that we that we you know exert our free will to constantly be in service to Krishna because after all that's that's the natural position that we're striving for and that's what we're looking to awaken is on an uninterrupted unmotivated service. Mm -hmm. Yeah I remember when Vajesh Prabhu was saying about um, if he has five or seven minutes before the car comes, am I gonna fiddle around with something or am I gonna open the Gita and read it? So on this point of family life, I was thinking in some ways it's admirable when people take on that responsibility because it is so rigorous, but at the same time for those, for those in material, fully material conscious, it's so much about extending one's false ego that it's very entrapping and tangling. And for those who are, who are in the spiritual conscious or practicing devotional consciousness, that it, it can bring us to that level so well, where it's like, you know, for me, going home means going to a different workplace. It's not like, oh, no, I have to just chill. It's like, oh, I'm like, mom, you know, time to like school, help with the school with the kids, or like, you know, we need to be washed, or <laughs> it's just like, so there is no gap, really. Mm -hmm. and, and when there is a gap, it's like, Oh my God! I can't believe it. Now I, you know, like, oh no, I'm gonna take care of myself so I can keep going. Yeah. So can be actually really take one to the next level. Yeah. Constantly being in service, and if it's grihastashram, then it's helping. But if we're in grihamedi mind state, constantly, then not really helping at all. But yeah. Does anyone else want to share? Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, a lot of what everyone was saying, you know, I was thinking of, and especially with the time factor, you know, that um, we're uh, perhaps not able to uh, utilize every moment, and uh, so that's it's a very costly thing because uh, you can't buy back one moment and. You know, Krishna's there every moment, so it's a very costly thing. And materialists know that too, so materially they see time as money. Mm -hmm. So for us, every moment is, you know, Krishna's. And, um, so when they give in to not um, valuing the moment, uh, and, um, and we may do that because, or I may do that because, um, Maybe that idea is say, well, I could at least relax for one moment, right? 
and or um, I'm, I may be doing it because I haven't been attentive in chanting or reading like you're saying and then you're you're lapsing into not utilizing the moment because of the inattention and, and sadhana and uh, just not you know controlling the mind very well so uh, so I may be doing that just for those reasons you know it's almost like a reaction to um, maybe offenses or inattention or um, just a lax, lazy attitude. And so, uh, so we have to believe what Prabhupada's saying. You know, I have to listen and hear and um, chant and believe that this is so valuable. If I don't really value it, if I'm, obviously I'm not really valuing it very, very well. So uh, I need to believe in, in the value of it all. And um, so to, to get stronger in that belief, I, if I'm not really valuing so, so well and on my own, then I need to be with those who are already um, stronger and valuing all of these things, even every single moment. So my desires can get stronger in their association. Yeah, I'm reflecting on um, the keyword value that you were bringing up and yesterday listening to a class saying if, if we value something, we actually do something about it. Or if, or if, we, have, if we have gratitude, we act. We like act in a way of gratitude. So the fact that I'm grateful and I value the books that Sri Prabhupada has written for us means that I read them. Or my gratitude and my value in japa is that I I chant japa and I'm attentive. So I really love how you brought up the word value and um, the action that comes behind actually valuing something means that I'm doing something about it. So because we have two minutes um, and we were on a note of things that we want to um, transcend, I wanted to see if anyone had like maybe one or two success stories that they've done an exercise like this before and they've looked at their habits and they were able to figure out where it was coming from and transcend that habit and get over it. Does anyone want to share a success story? Like one or two. It's a simple thing. Um, I've always been attracted to music throughout my life, mm. and <laughs> there was a period, you know, maybe just about two years ago, where I started listening to mundane music again, and I was like, to such degree, I was like lamenting, oh, I wish I didn't sell my whole CD collection. <laughs> I would love to go through it all again, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. So, anyways spent time every day, you know, on my SoundCloud playlists and what have you. And then it just got too mundane where it was all, the songs would pop into my head when I didn't want them to and things. And, I was, and so I just, you know, started making spiritual playlists, first of all, you know, to, you know, kind of dovetail my tendency to use the phone and play things on the phone and um, sound vibrations. So that, you know, that's that's the positive. That's the most positive way to 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 overcome that. I think to you know make it directly Christian conscious, and, and then I just stopped. You know, and I just stopped listening to Monday music. I just was honest with myself that you know like this is just you know plainly not not helping my mission in life, which is to become completely Christian conscious. You know, and uh, you know now I don't now I don't do that anymore. <laughs> So you're able to see that it wasn't helpful. Yeah. You're able to completely fully realize that. Yeah, like I, I would, I would, I would sometimes justify. Uh, uh, before I was thoroughly honest with myself, I would sometimes justify my listening to mundane music because it had a, a somewhat Krishna conscious message or you know God conscious message or what have you. Mm -hmm. A lot of songs like that, but 
yeah, it turned out to be like actually there was an aspect where I was just in, was also just enjoying the melody and the bass and the rhythm and and it was just uh, yeah when I become fully fully honest with myself it, it wasn't it wasn't activities of cultivating pure devotional service you know, it was quite mixed uh, so it's important to strive for a shoot of our feet. That's nice. You were you said you were able to become fully um, honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, there are also, um, I was thinking relating to this verse, um, that some, like, the way to, like, get to a place of dying in that way is not being honest with myself every day as to how I'm doing. Um, so I was just thinking of this man dying and him possibly not being honest with himself, kind of, like, shoving things under the rug, not wanting to have realizations or things like that. Yeah, um, so formulating it, so bear with me here. But I'm just thinking about how after my accident, well, no, actually, it was after my stroke, and I I had a lot of difficulty doing anything. Uh, I couldn't read or anything like that. So uh, the most progressive thing I could do at that time was to just watch YouTube, do YouTube. Seriously, that was like that was that was advancement for me at that point in time. That I could just try to comprehend and watch a video. And, um, you know, even if it was material, at least I was doing something to try to further myself. Because <laughs> it was a really pathetic situation. And I'm not saying that in a demeaning way, of course. But so um, <clears throat> it could be said that way. That's fine. But what I'm talking about is that there was this, these videos I started watching about uh, pranks, you know. Like people pranking each other. <laughs> I got really into it. <laughs> I would just like watch these videos endlessly. And then once I kind of got back to normal, where I could, you know, walk, talk, like almost like a normal person, then uh, I still kept watching those videos. And uh, yeah, it just took it took a, a certain point of getting so saturated that I was like, this hurts, you know. It's just like <laughs> it's just. Uh, like the kind of like Yakunjo said, it would just haunt me even when I wasn't wanting to think about it. I would just be thinking about these, oh yeah, this this video, that video, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I was like, this isn't actually very pleasant. So I, I was like, let me just switch. Let me just stop watching these videos at least like six times a day. So. I hope that counts as a success story, but yeah, totally. it's relevant to you, you saw it creep in. I'm not watching them anymore, That's six times a day. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't know watching. <laughs> Maybe once a week. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could see how just from watching them each day, and you're even, you're a devotee a couple years before that, chanting Japa every day. Yeah, five or six years, and then the accident, and then just watching some videos for a couple of days for how long did it go? A couple of days. And a few. But like that was like Japa for years, and then this for like a couple of months. How much it can influence us, whatever we choose to do. Yeah, that's a great success story. Um, it is nine oh four. Do you want to share your success story at breakfast?
And so I'll just read the translation one more time to recap that thus the man who engaged with uncontrolled senses in maintaining a family dies in great grief. Seeing his relatives crying, he dies most pathetically in great pain and without consciousness. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Shri Prabhupada Ki.